0: Welcome to the Whitewater Podcast. Stay tuned at the end of the message for church resources and more information about Whitewater. For now, let's dive into this week's message together. A friend come up to me who's experienced a long season of chronic pain. And as we were talking, you know, about... Other people who have been healed and that they're so glad that they've found healing, whether it's through doctors or some people, it's just unexplainable that they've, uh, they or their kids have, have been healed. And they just stopped in the middle of the conversation and said, I know this sounds so bad. I love seeing God's compassion and healing in other people's lives. But sometimes I just wondered, does he care about me? I think it's a really good question. Does God care about me? And what do I do when God's camp compassion? Seems to maybe fail me. What do I do when it feels like my hopes are gone? My hopes are dead. Does God care about me? I love this verse in the Bible. It's you're, you'll know it. Everybody knows this verse. You see it on TV all the time. John three sixteen. What you don't often see is John three seventeen, the verse that follows. Let me read this verse in its context. For God so loved the world. Notice it doesn't say for God so hated the world. God loves the world, he has compassion on the world. That he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We all know that verse, but listen to verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world or to condone everything in the world. Jesus was sent by the compassion of the Father to save the world. I just think that's so important. And we've been looking at a story about compassion the last three weeks. And we've looked at three key scenes, or we've looked at two scenes. We're going to look at the third today. The first scene we called the desperate father. The second scene is the desperate daughter. And today we're looking at the scene that we're calling the compassionate father. In the first scene, we see a father desperate for his daughter to be healed by Jesus. This man throws his, himself at the feet of Jesus, asks Jesus to heal his daughter, and then Jesus starts moving with him. The second scene we call the desperate daughter, and it's, it's Jesus all of a sudden in the middle of this crowd, on, the, on his way to go heal this man's daughter, A woman who is an outcast, a woman who's been sick for 12 years, reaches out in faith. In all the fear that she might have, she reaches out in faith and grabs a hold of the garments of Jesus, his robe, and is immediately healed of a chronic sickness she's had for 12 years. And she's healed. And in this moment, Jairus, the father, looks and sees this woman receive the healing he was hoping his daughter could receive. And in that exact moment that she is healed, some, some of his servants run up and they, and they give him this message. While it, Jesus was still speaking to the woman who was healed, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of, this, of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. I don't know if you've ever been at a point where the hope that you had had or the need that you had for God to come through for you didn't come through. It feels like God has failed you. The hope is dead. Here in this moment, Jairus is confronted with the hope for his daughter to be healed completely falling apart. And the messengers say, don't bother the teacher. Don't bother Jesus. Have you ever felt that way? Like, man, my life is what it is. I'm not gonna bother Jesus. I'm not gonna bother God about it. You know, who am I? I don't matter. It's done, it's failed, it's gone, the hope is dead. Watch what Jesus says here to Jairus. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, have faith. I just wanna take that sentence and just, I want that to be a bit of the heartbeat of this teaching today. Just would you carry that in your heart and in your mind as we're going through this story? don't be afraid, have faith. When everybody else is saying, don't bother Jesus, don't bother God, when maybe internally Jairus was having his own inner monologue saying, don't bother Jesus anymore, let's all just go home, it's all lost. Jesus says, don't be afraid, have faith. In verse 37, it says this, then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. These were kind of his inner circle, the leaders he really poured into of his disciples of 12. Verse 38, when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. Now, culturally the reason there were people that were weeping and wailing wasn't just because of the death that had occurred of Jairus' daughter, but when someone died, they actually had professional grievers in this day and age. They would have people they would pay to come and express grief. They would play music, things that would help them culturally express grief and loss. It's kind of like People who will rent out or pay for like a, a building or a church or a pastor to come and run a ceremony for them to like give expression and articulation to our grief. So Jesus walks up in, the, in this cultural situation. Here are the grievers. It's basically saying, this is done. She's died. There's no hope. And so we're beginning the process of moving beyond this. So interesting what happens here. In verse 39, he went inside and asked, why all this commotion and all this weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. Notice the crowd's response here. The crowd laughed at him, but Jesus made them leave. Just stopping there for a moment. This is almost like that moment where Jesus was or in the last scene where Jesus is walking with the crowd all pressed around him. It says they were just close and pressed all around him. And all of a sudden the woman grabs his robe and he, and she's healed and Jesus feels that energy leave him. And he goes, wait, wait, wait. Who touched me? Who touched me? And his disciples are like, well, Jesus, everyone's touching you. <laughs> like we're in the middle of a crowd. It's like that. This is like that moment where Jesus walks in. He asks another weird question. You know, why, why all the, all the commotion? Why all the weeping? And the crowd laughs and this specific crowd, like, Probably some of them are professional grievers, and they're laughing. So you can you see that this is like a job to them, and they don't really care. Like, it's awkward to laugh at a funeral, right? And Jesus sees something totally different, and he's reacting with compassion. When the crowd is kind of going through like this, something that, that, that you're just supposed to, you're going through the motions, this is a cultural ritual. Jesus goes on to lead the situation in this way. Made them all leave, but he took the, the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. This is an important moment. Jesus says, All right, anybody who's just going through the motions, people who don't don't trust me, just get out of the way. And then he takes the father and mother and he and his closest disciples, and he walks into the room of loss, the room of death where hope has been taken. This Jairus' daughter has been lost. And remember Jesus' words to Jairus, don't be afraid, have faith. And they walk into the room together. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha ka'um, which means little girl, get up. So interesting, this little sentence, you can circle it, underline it. This is really key in this whole story, especially in this scene. The original language, Jesus' original language, is used here, Talitha Ka'um, which the writer Mark is, is just saying, he's kind of saying to us, I'll never forget the exact words that Jesus said in this moment. I don't know if you have moments like that in your life where you just like, you will never forget them. But this was so memorable. And I think here's, here's a few reasons why. Notice this in verse 41, holding her hand. If you remember... The woman in the last scene reached out in faith with her own hand and grabbed the hem, the, the garment of Jesus. She reached out with her own hand. So hands are really important in this story. And this woman who's been sick that for 12 years, typically she would be infecting Jesus where he can't go do anything. There's no way he could heal someone because he's religiously, ceremonially unclean. Because he would be infected with her uncleanness but instead the reverse happens. Jesus is bringing the kingdom. He's bringing new life, new creation, new creation that it flows out of Jesus. There's like this divine infection that's like infecting everybody else with goodness rather than the other way around. And when Jesus grabs the hand of this little girl, it's also reminding us that like a rabbi, a teacher should never touch a dead body, but Jesus isn't afraid of touching a dead body. He is the one who's bringing new life. He is the one the father has sent to bring a whole new world into being. He's not afraid. And that divine infection is bursting out of his life. And here's the most moving part for me as a father. I've got two little kids. I've got a little three-year-old son and an eight-year-old daughter. And I just couldn't imagine if I was about to lose my daughter or I had lost her. It says, holding her hand, if you guys remember at the very beginning of the story, what did Jairus ask Jesus? It says that Jairus fell at Jesus' feet, pleading fervently with him, my little daughter is dying, and now in this part of the story, she's dead. Please come and do what? Lay your hands on her so that she can live. In Jesus' hands are are, our life. He, the, the hands of Jesus have reached out. He has, he has done exactly what Jairus has asked, what Jairus had faith for Jesus to do. And when Jesus said, don't be afraid, continue to have faith. Continue to have faith that my hands will bring healing. My hands will bring life. My hands will reach down into death and pull her back to life. What a powerful moment. I think one of the most important takeaways For me as a person of faith, is that even when we can't get up, even when like hope is dead, even if we can't make a move toward Jesus, he reaches out to us. This little girl couldn't do anything for She couldn't even reach out like the woman in the last scene. She couldn't advocate for herself at this point, like as her father had. And Jesus just reaches and grabs her hand and then says, little girl, get up, wake up verse 42, it says this, and the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Like when Jesus is at work, and one of the best responses is just amazement, just being blown away by the goodness of Jesus. It goes on to say in verse 43, Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. I love how this story ends, and there's a few significant pieces for me. And one of them, I think we can take away. One of the layers is, man, when it's time to to get up, and we've been in a place of hopelessness or loss or our hope is dead, there's a place to get up. When we hear Jesus saying, "Get up, walk, and get some food," um, we need to be able to respond to that, to get up, to start walking back into that into the life that God has created for us and, and get some food. And like we tend to have some over-spiritualizing of things sometimes in the church. And I love just like the realness of the story. And you know, this girl gets up, Jesus is like, she's asleep. Everyone knows she's been dead. And Jesus is, shows that he's not only the power to heal, he has the power to give new life. Jairus had faith that Jesus couldn't be a healer. He didn't know that he could resurrect new life that there's not only healing in his hands, but there's like new life. And I also love in, in this moment that like all the people are amazed there's miracles going on around us. There are moments going on around us where God is at work renewing the world around us. Do we notice it? Are we amazed by it? Are we? Do we allow ourselves to be blown away, to let gratitude fill our hearts? I want to encourage you to allow yourself to be amazed at what God is doing. Open your eyes. Allow God to amaze you. Lastly, it's it's always so interesting. Jesus is like, don't, don't tell anybody. The book of Mark, he's always doing miracles, helping people, doing these incredible things, casting demons out. And he's always at the end. He's like, don't tell anybody, though. Don't tell anybody. Don't say anything. <laughs> we wouldn't have all these stories if people hadn't gone and told people. But there's like this reality that Jesus is kind of like keeping some of his work a mystery. And there's a political intrigue around him where you, you can tell Jesus doesn't He knows it's not time yet for him to go to the cross. And there's power at work, and there's powers at work in the Roman government and with the religious structures of the day. And and there's spiritual forces where Jesus is trying to keep his ministry on track so he can can do the work he's supposed to before he goes to the cross. But it's so interesting that when Jesus finally goes to the cross, he dies for the sins of the world, absorbs evil into himself, absorbs sickness into himself, and then is raised to new life. He doesn't say, don't tell anybody. After the cross and resurrection, Jesus is like, all the stories, all the things I've been doing, the death-breaking power of the cross and resurrection should be shared everywhere. Don't keep that in. And so now, those of us who follow Jesus or are exploring faith in Jesus, we tell what we see. When we see it, we share it. What is God doing in the world around us? The first thing is the healing hands of Jesus, reveal the healing hands of the Father. That Jesus, then his hands are are healing. And when he reaches out, like things change, miracles happen, healings happen, people are raised from the dead. And his hands are an extension of the Father's hands. Jesus said that he came to do only what the Father sent him to do. When we see Jesus, we see the Father. Jesus taught this. We see this in the New Testament. If you want to know what God's like, you look at Jesus. When you see his hands at work, healing people, transforming people, changing people, that's the work of the Father. That's the Father's heart. That's why we call this the compassionate Father, the scene of the compassionate Father. The second thing we learn is don't be afraid but have faith. Don't be afraid, but have faith. There's that moment where Jairus is like, I'm not going to bother the teacher anymore. My daughter's dead. But Jesus says, don't be afraid, have faith. So he moves forward with Jesus. And then they see all the commotion, all the grievers like grieving and weeping at his home. She's dead. And he's going to look silly bringing Jesus into this dead little girl. Because what can Jesus do now? Like he can't bring her back from the dead, but he still has faith, even though he's maybe he has some internal fear. And he doesn't let fear control him. We're all going to have some fear. So, you know, you hear sometimes crazy Christians saying like, you know, a real Christian doesn't have any fear. That's crazy. That's that is so unbiblical. Like we should have some natural fears that keep us alive and help us have healthy relationships, all that stuff. We shouldn't let fear control us. And in this story, faith unleashes the compassionate power of Jesus. Faith doesn't cause, it doesn't create the compassionate power of Jesus. But it does release it. I think of it like a straw, like that wind can blow through. It's like, it's the conduit. When we have faith and we, and we invite people, this type of faith was Jairus inviting Jesus to his home, inviting Jesus from the home into the room where death was, where his daughter was dead and gone, the story's over. Faith was inviting Jesus into that room, into that place, and allowing Jesus to use his healing hands to change the situation. Some of you are here today and this is what you needed to hear. Invite Jesus into the room. That's what faith is. There's not like some magical power you have with your faith. You're inviting Jesus to do what he wants to do in the darkest room in the darkest places. And when Jesus comes in, there's a tendency for that which was dead to get up and walk out, for life to transform, for the things that we thought could never be changed and are broken our lives to be made new. In the healing hands of Jesus. Always remind me that like those hands that healed this girl with the same hands that uh, were pierced by the nails, and those same wounds that were put into his hands and created scars were the same scarred hands that came from the tomb and gave people hope for a resurrected life and a new life with God, for eternity. We can trust in the hands of Jesus. By his wounds, we are healed. Might be someone out there that's needing. To hear that Jesus heals, even if you've been going through chronic pain, continually bringing Jesus into that room of pain, of loss, of death. Here's the third takeaway I think is really, really important. When we can't reach out on our own for ourselves, Jesus reaches out and pulls us in. When we were dead in our trespasses of sin, when we were dead in our brokenness, Christ, Jesus, came to make us alive. I think of John 3.16 in light of this story. If I were to rewrite John 3.16, which might sound heretical to some of you, (laughs) but in light of this story, in light of Jesus' concrete actions, it might sound a little bit like this. For God so loved the world that he sent his son to reach out and heal us with his own hands. That whosoever believes in him, listens to him, brings him into the room of death, of loss, will have Jesus call to life that which was dead. The room of sickness and loss will not prevail. We will not perish, but have eternal life. Amen? For anybody who's in that room right now, and maybe that there's that room you've been afraid to bring Jesus into, I want to say this to you. Faith does not cause or create compassionate power of God. Faith releases compassionate power of Jesus into the room, into the room of pain, into the room of death, into any disappointment, into a room filled with desperate sickness and tragedy. Faith releases the compassionate power of Jesus for any person, any outcast, any powerful person, anybody who thinks they're somebody or somebody thinks they're a nobody, for any son or daughter of God who chooses faith instead of fear, the compassionate power of God is released in the compassionate healing hands of Jesus. Thanks again for joining us this week. At Whitewater, we believe in creating an environment where you can belong before you believe. If you want to learn more about who we are and what we believe in, visit us at our website, whitewaterchurch.org. If you'd like to contribute to Whitewater financially, you can give online at whitewaterchurch.org slash give, or if you want to get involved in blessing our communities or interested in joining a home church, email us at info at whitewaterchurch.org. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.